Romans 8, 1, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the chains of sin have been broken. We've been set free. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Wow. We have the truth that sets you free from the wages of sin. You know the wages of sin? You don't just pay them when you die. You pay them now. We've been set free now. Man. We're on our 40-day journey to a more generous life. Today, I'm going to try to preach <laughs> on teaching stewardship to our children. Uh, first, I'll show you a worldview that I think... Um, has slipped into our vocabulary. I'll try to establish that train up the way of a child. You use scripture in training up a child in the way he should go. The scriptures I'll share with you that I'm using with my children. And I want to end with a couple of examples that we use in our home. You'll hear from a millionaire. And if I forget to tell you about the widow's might and sing a country song to you at the end, Raise your hand and try to remind me. <laughs> I forgot the country song this morning, so I'm going to wrap it up with a country song, but I won't sing it. I have uh, 47 pages to go through, and so I hope you're strapped in and ready to go. <laughs> There's a study, um, Healthy Fanny, help, help, ooh, that's off to a good start. Healthy Family Conversations. And they said in this uh, research that they did that 55% of adult children who witnessed and saw their parents tithe and give in the offering plate do so now as adults. Less than 24% of adult children who have grown up who never saw their parents tithe and give to the local church are the only ones that do it now, less than 24%. So our children follow our examples. We need to hear the clarion call of train your child up in the way he should go. Train your child up. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The first question at hand is, do you believe that? Do you believe it? The Word of God is telling us right here. It's not just a suggestion, right? It's not a suggestion that, get, that the Scripture is giving to us. It's an imperative an imperative that we need to train our children up so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. The saying that's really popular right now that we hear a lot, and it's, it's crept into our Christian vocabulary. I've heard really great Christians use it. Their kids grow up. Their son becomes a, a police officer. Their other son becomes a paramedic. Their daughter becomes a pharmacist. And you ask them, wow. What's the secrets of raising your children? You know what the number one answer is? I have no advice for you. Isn't that kind of bleak and depressing? Kind of bleak and depressing. You are a starry-eyed young couple, and you want to raise your child up in the ways that they'll be successful, that they'll be able to lead a, a, a decent life. Maybe you're a single mom or a single dad, and you ask somebody, hey, you have any advice on raising children? Nah, I don't have any advice. Nah. Let them go the way that they want to, and um, they'll figure it out as they grow up, however they would like to figure out what life is all about. 
I can't take the responsibility if they turn out good. I can't take the responsibility if they turn out bad. I hear that so much. Let me tell you, the scripture's telling you right here that your responsibility is helping your child out. You will be held accountable for what you teach your child. Ultimately, the direction that your children take is going to be their decisions. But how you have raised them, you are intimately involved with that. The scriptures tells us to raise up a child in a way they should go. If your motto is leave your children to themselves, they'll figure it out, it's worldly advice. It's actually satanic advice because at the core of that motto is the destruction of your child's life. If that's the core of your motto, and that's the way that you raise your children, then you're going to have people like Chris Brown and Lady Gaga influencing your children. Who do you want to influence your children? The Word of God or secular society? I have to admit, when I was writing this, I was asking, I didn't know who uh, a, a bad singer was or who somebody was out there on the edge that you shouldn't let your children listen to. And I listened to a couple of the songs, and I came away very disturbed. <laughs> very disturbed at the lyrics that are going on in our society today. If you are not raising your children and influencing them, someone like Axl Rose will become a parent to your children. You want biblical wisdom in raising your children. Proverbs 29, 15 and 17 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Correct your son, and he will be a comfort to you. That's interesting. He will also delight your soul. When we read this, raise your child up, we have to understand that it is an imperative that you take an active role in raising your children, that you take an active role in teaching them the ways of the Lord, that you take an active role in showing them what God has to say about life. How do you teach them the fear of the Lord? You have to pick this up and carry it with you. You have to bring your children in and open it up and say, let's look at Proverbs. What does a proverb, what does the Proverbs have to say about what a fool looks like? You know, your children need to know what a fool looks like. <laughs> it's in there. He says, raise them up, show them the scriptures. With that, he also shows us some examples and models of wisdom. What a wise man looks like. Open up the scriptures. First of all, you have to understand that the scriptures are trustworthy. The truth can be found here. Christ himself said, For this reason I have been born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Can you find wisdom in here? Proverbs 1, 2, and 7. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness and justice and equity. The fear of the Lord is the beginning 
of knowledge. It's amazing. When Christ came, we don't have anything recorded or anything said that he took a look at the Old Testament and said, you know what? It wasn't a big fish. It was a whale that swallowed Jonah. He never went in there and said, you know what? There's not four authors, or there's not three authors of Isaiah. He didn't go back through the Old Testament and correct anything. He's valid by not correcting it. He validated it as the word of God. That we can put our trust in that word. That Christ didn't come along the son of God. The word made flesh. Didn't go comb through the Old Testament and say, oh, you know, let's, let's look at uh, Psalm 103 and let's change chapter, um, verse 2. No, he didn't touch it because it is the word of God. And he let it stand there. We have to be able to say, I can find wisdom in this book, and I can trust it that it is the words of God. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead you shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates has any of you spent more than 20 minutes with pastor pastor How philip howard spent more than 20 minutes with him after about 7 to 12 minutes in that conversation right around there, you'll see that it will veer right into Scripture. You can't spend a whole, you probably went to him to complain about something or talk about something, but during that conversation, he veered it right over here into Scripture. Because even if you visit him, if you get an opportunity, a chance to visit him, I don't know the schedule, but if you see him laying on his side healing, you'll all of a sudden hear him veer that conversation off into Scripture. He is trying to teach along the way. He's setting an awesomely great example of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Along the way, as you go, write it on your doorpost, post it on your gates, the word of God. Why? So that you will train up your children in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart. Have you benefited from Scripture? Have you benefited from your prayer life? Have you benefited from the promises of God? If you have, when you do, you need to be constantly teaching your children how the Lord has been gracious in your life. Don't let it go by as something little. Don't let it go by as, oh, they've heard that story before. My wife tells stories, and my boys are constantly saying, Mommy, tell that story again. Tell that story again. They love to hear how God is working in your life. It's amazing. Deuteronomy was given to the children of Israel as they wandered through the desert. What's, what's baffling is the children that received that, the, the men and women that received that Pentateuch at that time, did not enter into the promised land. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently 
so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. We need to look at the scripture and reap the benefits of what are being said here. And we need to teach our children. When I take my, my kids, when they get to the point where it seems like they're reading halfway decent for a second grade level, I go and I purchase them a Bible. And I spend about an hour with them. And I only go over one small verse, one passage. I turn them to Isaiah 118. I want my children to know, no matter where they go in life, there is a pathway home. There is a pathway home. It doesn't matter how far out you go, how much you've, you've been angry, how much you've been bitter, how much you've been hurt, whatever sin you may fall into, I want my children to know that there is a pathway home. Isaiah 118, come now. Let us reason, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you read Isaiah, Israel is steeped in sin. And God is saying, I am a holy and righteous God, but I will come down to your level. And I will reason with you. Let me tell you, Brian... When he's in trouble, I just say, Brian, and he shapes up quick. I say, Anthony, and he never hears a word I say. <laughs> Let me tell you, when Anthony gets mad at his teacher and kicks her in the shin, pulls a little girl's hair at recess, and steals a toy from another kid, when he comes home, I don't say, oh, son, come let us reason. No, son, come here. There's no reasoning going on. None whatsoever. You don't have a chance to explain. I already know the story. Come over here, son. God didn't treat you that way. God kneels down and he says, oh, your sins are as crimson. But I'm going to kneel down to you. And I'm going to ask you to come reason with me. A righteous and great and awesome God is kneeling down and treating you as an equal. Who do you reason with? Somebody of equal volition, of equal power, of equal might, of equal intelligence. But God says, you're my children. I'll kneel down. Come, let us reason. I want my children, first and foremost, to know that there is a pathway home. Train your child up in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. There's a lot of talk on this verse about raising the children up in their individual bents, their individual personalities. Yes, you treat each child a little bit different. Like I mentioned, Brian corrects pretty easy. Anthony, you got to chase him down and call him out several times. It's a little bit different in the way you treat and handle each child. Maybe their love languages are a little bit different, but I think this verse is very simple. It is very simply put, train your child up in the way they should go. I think when you marry it with Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, you come out with a very balanced picture. How do you train them up? What do you do with them? 
Well, you talk with them the scriptures as you go, as they lay down to go to bed, as you get up. I don't know if I talk my scriptures, the scriptures that much with my children, but the best thing that I do that I know that works for us is I have to give them a ride to school in the morning. So I have Shania reading in Luke, and when we, the boys, it takes a little bit longer to get to where they're going, I have them reading Proverbs. Believe me, I'm taking them through Proverbs, and I'll probably take them through two or three more times. They're going to need it. If I don't see the correction in their life that Proverbs will bring, I'm going to go through Proverbs and try to teach them and teach them and teach them again. Whether you like it or not, Scripture is interpreted and understood at home. Believe me, um, Larry prayed for me this morning and said, if only one person hears this and, and takes heed to it, blessed be the name of the Lord, and I think I'm the one. <laughs> so I'm preaching this to me. Scripture is understood and interpreted at home because the children watch your life, and they exemplify and they follow after your patterns in life. And am I, when I'm yelling at mama, when I'm kicking the dog, when I'm throwing the garbage across the backyard, well, not that bad. <laughs> Those actions that I take to them, I am interpreting the scriptures. I'm telling them, I've read scriptures this morning, daddy prayed this morning, and this is how I act. They are getting more training at home on the Bible than they do when they come to LGP or R3 or our elementary classes. You are training your children whether you understand or know it or not. So I would advise pulling out the word of God somewhere along the way. Memorizing some scripture and teaching your children the ways of the Lord so that their soul might prosper. When you're teaching the ways of the Lord, you want the scripture there. When you have your children and you're raising them, you want the scripture there. The scripture does surgery on their heart. The scripture does surgery on their mind. The scripture does surgery on their soul. And you want scripture in your house and in your children's lives. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. As you train up your children in the way of the Lord, what does that mean? I've heard it all my life. What does that mean? Oh, it means this, it means that. It means bring the scriptures into their life so that you can train them up in the ways that they should go. What is the direction that you want your children to go? Is it after money? Is it after fame and fortune? Or do you want their soul to prosper? If you want their soul to prosper, you want to train them up in scripture. Scripture talks to the intentions of the heart. Scripture shapes your thinking. Man, there's so many subjects to teach on when it comes to raising children. Forgiveness, 
what a fool looks like, what a wise man looks like, what a sheep in wolf's clothing looks like, work ethics. There's so much to look at, but right now I just want to take a look at what Scripture has to teach on stewardship. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. It's pretty amazing. You would think he would be a herald saying, don't go to hell. This is what hell looks like. The, you think that would be the most prolific thing he would speak about. But he spoke about money more than anything else. He talked about money more than anything except the kingdom of God. 11 out of 39 parables talk about money. One out of every seven verses in the Gospel of Luke talk about money. David Ramsey says that, that there's over 250 scriptures in the Bible that talk about money. You think it's important to train your children and teach them about the stewardship of money. See, Jesus said, you can't, God said, you can't serve God and money, or mammon, money, right? You, he didn't say you can't serve God and sex, because sex can bring pleasure, but it doesn't provide for you. He didn't say you can serve God in an idol, you can't serve God in an idol, because ultimately an idol cannot provide for you, even though you might worship a stone or a, a hollow log. It's still not going to provide for you. But if you worship money, if your whole, whole desire is for money and what wealth can bring to you, it is something that will provide for you so that you do not need God. It's the one thing that he said will divide you and steal your heart away from him. Why do I want to teach my children biblical stewardship? God's word has made all the difference in my life. It's made all the difference in my life. It's taught me what true salvation is. It's taught me what false salvation or fake salvation would be, a works to get to heaven. It shows me that I owe my life to Christ. I owe my marriage to Christ. He has kept my marriage. Some of you may not know my testimony, but I've been on the phone before with a divorce lawyer. On that phone call, I was ready to go sign papers to end my marriage and get out of my marriage. But I thank God that his scripture has been working on me since my childhood that I would wake up and say, this is not the best thing for my soul. This is not the best thing for my life. His teaching in the word of God has spared my marriage. I owe him. If he sa- My biggest prayer is that he saves all the children in my home. All of my children. And I will owe him a gratitude of love and praise and worship. I know I'll never be able to repay, but it will be on my lips as long as I breathe. I know I owe Christ the glory for my wealth. You know, the statistics of my life when I was very young were very much in my favor. From your reaction, and none of you believe me. Oh, I had all the statistics, all the statistics. One of the statistics that I had was I should, be, I should be spending my life in prison. Or at least spending time there regularly. 
I should have fathered children and abandoned them. I should have um, been married several times and divorced. When I was in fourth grade, it was discovered, I mean, I, I knew it. <laughs> My mom discovered that I couldn't read. I should have been a dropout. That's my statistics. I figure I graduated from high school with a third grade le reading level. I flunked college. I should have been a menace to society because that's where I was headed. The statistics that I had were against me to be a complete failure in life. I shouldn't be standing here as a pastor before you today. I should be strung out on drugs. I should be ate up by sin. But it's by the grace of God and the training that I received from the Word of God that has saved my life. It's, let me, you know why I'm so excited about evangelism, why I love evangelism so much? It's not just because people get to go to heaven. It changes and rescues and saves their life right here, right now. The irony, I graduated from Fresno Pacific University. Now, this is the funny part. Look, look, look. I earned a degree in intellectual history. Tim? <laughs> It's a philosophy of Western civilization. Ah, wow, I loved it. It was so much fun. But I got to graduate. Amazing. You know why? Because when I was in junior high school, I talked with Pastor Paul. He couldn't, he was in, I don't know, 10th grade or 12th grade, when he could, 10th or 11th grade, he couldn't read either. And he decided he wanted to learn to read because he just got saved and wanted to know what the Bible had to say. When I was in junior high school, I had a goal to read the Bible before I graduated from junior high school. I didn't, I didn't achieve that goal. <laughs> so my goal was to finish it by the time I graduated from, from high school. I was just a couple of books short when I graduated from high school. But reading, making the efforts, plugging away, Christ telling me that a good name is worthy to have. Those are the things that motivated me. Those are the things that drove me. Raise up your child in the way he should go. You know what's amazing? I have a house, and I have hot running water. The majority of the world does not have hot running water. But when I was in high school, there was a time when there was no hot running water. The PG&E got cut off from November to March. No PG&E means no heat and no hot water. So it was freezing cold at 6 o'clock in the morning in Fresno area, and that water was freezing cold that came out of that tap. I think it was just a degree above freezing is how cold that water is. Take, talk about a minute and a half shower. You can take a minute and a half shower. It is possible. <laughs> Matter of fact, I'm going to turn off the PG&E at my house so my kids stop taking hour-long showers. <laughs> Those are all the reasons I teach my children about the biblical view of stewardship and giving. You know what, though? I ran into a, I got stumped up a few years back. I was in construction, March 10, 2000, dot-com bubble burst. There was so much construction, it was crazy. You can get work all the time, everywhere. You can jump from job to job, and nobody cared. When that dot-com bubble burst, all the work came to a screeching halt, and there was no work anywhere. I was out of work for over six months, 
I was driving to San Jose. I was driving to Sacramento. I was charging gas. I was charging bridge tolls. I was charging groceries on a charge card. I had deacons from this church deliver groceries to my house. Thank you, guys. Thank you. That wasn't too bad. We were making it, charging up like crazy, right? But what hit me hard was when I got my giving report from 1999. I looked at my giving report from 1999, and I was going over six months of unemployment, and I compared my charge card with my giving report from the year before, and they matched almost to the dollar. I went to the pastor very frustrated. Pastor, if I didn't tithe, if I didn't give this money, I would not have this charge card right now. It would be paid off, and I wouldn't have the stress of this debt and my unemployment still on my back. I had to wrestle with that issue. And as I wrestled with that issue, I was teaching over here in the children's church department. And I remember a kid riding his bike from Rodeo, a young boy, 8, 9, 10 years old, riding his bike from Rodeo, no parents, coming to our children's church. I remember seeing some moms and dads dropping their children off and driving away, probably so they go sleep off their hangovers and come back at noon and pick up their children. When I started wrestling with that issue, when I started wrestling with it, and I started thinking that I was nine years old, walking for blocks, dragging my three-year-old little sister to church, I remembered somebody paid for the Sunday school books that I had. I remembered somebody paid for the PG&E to be on over here in our church. I, re I started thinking if I had all that money and I paid off my credit card, I could never go back to 1999 and give that tithe again. That time would be past. There would be no making up for that time or affecting the people or children's lives that that money went to affect. It would not help the missionaries in 2000 because I didn't give it in 1999, the missionaries that we support around the world. They might not have had enough material for one more person to be touched with the gospel. So as I started wrestling with that, the anger started to subside, and I started to think. Lord, I don't want one thin dime back. Keep it, Lord. Keep it, Lord. Keep it all. Keep it all. I know that I'm affecting somebody's life today and for eternity with what I gave. The amazing thing, I think it's in the 40-day in the journal. He made a difference, a distinct difference between those who are poor and those who are broke. We were broke. We were not poor. We were still tithing during that time. We were still giving. We were giving, and the obedience of that has blessed our life. Our souls have prospered. Our souls have have prospered, and we've been able to attend this church and be ministered to for over 18 years. He has kept my marriage. He has kept my children. He has brought my children home back to us. 
He has blessed our family. This is one of the verses I'm teaching my children. Deuteronomy 8, 16. About the middle of the verse. That he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. He's humbling us and testing us for our good? Wow, what a concept. That totally goes against our grain, doesn't it? Totally goes against what we think. When we're in a test, it don't feel good. I hate it, and I'm asking God why. I know I whine too much. I don't like whiners, and I wind up whining. I wind up talking to myself, quit being a whiner. I can't stand myself whining or hearing myself whine. But look at this. To humble you that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and my strength and my hand has made me wealthy. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for he, for it is he who has given you the power to make wealth. Wow, that's a different perspective. When we get the perspective of what God has to teach us, then he can bless us. If we are willing to obey and submit, like Chuck Lott of Bodier was saying, if we are willing to obey and submit, he will bless that obedience and that submission. Our kids are going through the 40-day challenge with us. And I want my children to know that it is God who gives us the ability to make wealth. My wife's in here. She was in back last time, but I get to complain a little bit. I'm a whine. Doggone it. I got so tired of my wife complaining that I don't help out around the house. You know, I know I do 40%. She says it's 4%. <laughs> Some of you ladies agree, huh? <laughs> so, like any good husband worth his weight, I took a look around the house, and I saw three healthy children sitting on a couch, Spilt soda pop on the carpet, potato chips scattered all over the blankets and the, and the cushions. And as they were watching TV, I turned it off and I said, Children, it is time for you to clean the house. Your mother is very upset and she needs the house clean. So what I, wouldn't, I did is I walked around the house and I told them, This job is worth so much, this job is worth so much, this job is worth so much. Because I wanted to get money into their hands. I wanted to get out of work. I wanted to get money into their hands to teach them the responsibility of handling money. So as their money little pile started piling up, I got little jars. I call them buckets. Got little jars. And one of the jars on it says uh, 60%. I said, this is what's going to go into the bank. Okay, they're all excited about it. 30%, that's what you get to put in your wallet. That's cool, it's not as much, that's cool. And 10% goes to the Lord. I want to teach my children about tithing. What's amazing about that is I want to teach them to be generous too. So at Christmas time, I made them bust out all their money, and we went shopping. Well, they weren't real happy about buying Christmas presents for each other. I got to tell you, I got a little irked. I was sitting there with the three of them, and they're arguing. They don't want to pay for that because it's $5, and that's $10, and 
all those kinds of things, and they don't want to get it for, why don't we have to spend money on each other, Dad? Can't we just take it home? That I was so upset with them, I just stopped them. Be quiet. And I said, that money came out of my pocket, and I can take it away because I'm the one that gave it to you. I'm the one that gave you the job. I'm the one that put the money in your pocket. I'm the one that's letting you spend it right now, but I'm so upset with you, I want to take it away. And then the scripture came to mind. It is God who gives the strength for us to earn wealth. He gives us that ability. Just like that illustration, I was so upset with the way they were using their money, I wanted to just take it all away, and I would handle all of it. But then I wouldn't have taught them anything. So as we go, they calmed down because they didn't want to lose all their money. We uh, turned in their tithe and tithe envelope in the children's departments over there. And at the end of the year, I was really disappointed because one of my kids gave $47, one gave $53. And I was thinking, man, that's that's not much. What am I? I'm failing as a dad. But as I was talking with Pastor Gabe, he said, $53? That means your kid had $530 last year? I thought, wow. (laughs) What 11-year-old has $530 in her hand? She has some rich uncles, you know. Grandpa pays them for all their teeth and the report cards and Uncle Larry and all that. So it didn't all come from me. (laughs) But I had them tithing off of everything that came in. Edwin in here? Edwin's not here. I'll talk about him. Edwin tithes off of everything that comes in his mailbox. He tithes off of his paycheck. He tithes off of his unemployment check. There's a time he had to come to get, an, he made a agape request. He hit hard times. Unbelievable. He hit hard times. Never had him seen him hit a hard time. He came and got a agape request, and what he did is he tithed off of his agape request. I grabbed him by the lapel. I said, you don't tithe off of agape request. That was money given to you from the church to help your family put milk on a table. And he said, Sean, whatever comes in my mailbox, I'm going to tithe. Because the Lord has provided it, and I'm just giving back to him what he's given to me. When King David was building the temple, they took in such a tithe, and he gave out of his own war chest, and he looked at the God, he looked and prayed to God, and he said, Lord, All the wealth that we are giving you today has only come from your hand. Has only been provided by you. I want to tell you about a a millionaire I talked to on Wednesday. The basic conversation went like this. Don't pigeonhole me at 10%. This guy's a giver, and so I couldn't imagine this coming from him. Don't pigeonhole me at 10%. I believe the New Testament scripture says, as you have blessed, give to the Lord. As the Lord has prospered you, give. He said 10% is too small. He said, if you pigeonhole me at 10%, then I can't give all that is on my heart to give. He has blessed me so much, I want to give back. I want to tell you about the widow's mite, though, too. There's two ladies that attend our church. 
Ron tells his story. She came in and rushed into the office one day so elated. She only had about 16 or 18 dollars. But she said, a check came in today for such and such, and I have 18 dollars to tithe. She was so excited to give her widow's mite. Just unbelievable. We have another lady that a family gave some money to uh, during Christmas time, $100 or something like that, gave it to her. And she said, she looked at that money, she started to weep. And she said, I can tithe. I can give my widow's might. She had such joy in being able to give off that little bit of money that came her way. She's already destitute. She's already having a hard time, but because she was blessed, she said, this came from the hand of the Lord, and I want to give back to him. In this 40-day journey, I want my children to know that mommy and daddy tithe also. Do we have a picture? I think we have a picture coming up here. Um... Big Dave twisted my arm and made me bring the picture in. But I wanted a tangible object lesson that my children could put their hands on. They can touch. They can smell. Money stinks. You ever smell it? Money stinks. But I want them to, to know the aromas, the smells, the feel. I stood up on the, on the balcony while they were sitting there, and I threw all the money over. Because I wanted them to have that visual. I wanted them to know this is mommy and daddy's tithes and offerings now that was i think that made a point but what made the bigger point is it took them about two hours to bundle it all up and to put all the faces in the right direction <laughs> made them put all the faces in the right direction <laughs> and count out count them out in, in stacks of 25 i wanted them to be impressed that mommy and daddy give tithes and offerings I want my children to give tithes and offerings. I want their souls to prosper. I want them to understand the blessings of the Lord. I don't want money to grow. I don't want them to grow up and money be their idols. That all they need is more. Just a little bit more. I'm working for a little bit more. I'm putting in for more. I'm trying for more. And they miss out on the instructions of the Lord. Are you guys ready for me to sing a country song? Oh, good, good. You're a smart man. <laughs> this song is called Voices. Voices in my head. Sounds a little schizophrenic. <laughs> but voices in my head. Chris, uh, Chris Young. It goes like this, walking around with all of these whispers running around in my brain. I just can't help but hear them. Man, I can't avoid them. I hear voices. I hear voices all of the time. It gets better. He says, I hear dad saying, quit that team and you'll be a quitter for the rest of your life. Mama says, Drop some cash in the offering plate on Sunday and say your prayers at night. I hear voices all the time. I hear grandpa saying, I hear grandma saying, turns out I'm pretty lucky 
for all that good advice. Those hard-to-find words of wisdom hold up here in my mind. And, I, and just when I've lost my way, or I've got too many choices, I hear voices like Grandma saying, my grad, granddad saying. Sometimes I try to ignore them, but I thank God for them. Because they make me who I am. Yeah, I hear these voices all of the time. Your children need to hear your voice. Your children need to hear the voice of the Lord. As you go, teach them the scriptures. As you go, train up your child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart. Holy Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's powerful. We thank you that it changes hearts, that it changes souls, that it rescues us and saves us today as well as for eternity. We thank you for the difference that it makes in our life. We thank you that it gives us a hope and a future. Oh, Father, go with us today and let us raise up our children in the ways of the Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.